is Lecture 4 in the series The Church in the New Testament by Professor Veselin Kesich. The title of this lecture is Diversity and Equality in the Church, the Prominence of Women and Their Ministry in the Church. talked about the persecution of the Hellenists and some of you worried what happened with the Hebrews. Now the turn is on the Hebrews just briefly. They were persecuted too. Around 40s, probably about six, seven years after persecution of the Hellenists, we read in the chapter 12 of the book of Acts that James, brother of the, of the John, was killed. It means James, the member of the group of the 12, uh, the member of the 12 who are all Hebrews, was killed. Peter was in prison, and miraculously, Peter escaped the prison. And where did he go? He went to the house of Mary. Now, we come to an extremely important point in the development of primitive Christianity to see the role of women in the ministry of the church. And let me read this particular passage. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Primitive Christians gathered together to, for apostolic teaching, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for prayer. So it seems so, more than it seems so, it is the most probable that House of Mary was the place of meetings of the early Christians in Jerusalem, at least of one group. It is probably the meeting of the Hellenists in this particular house, because her son, John Mark, probably belonged to the same group. Now, when Peter knocked at the door of the house, at the gates appeared Rhoda, Rhoda. Rhoda is the servant of Mary. So in the house, it is a more than, more than nuclear family. In the nuclear family, you have a father, mother, and children. But in the larger family, about which we are going to speak quite a lot in order to understand the role of the women and propagation of the Christianity, the family is much larger, including servants, slaves, business associates, and many other people. So the larger household is the primary place for the propagation and for the conversion of the Gentiles to Christianity. Now, when Rhoda appeared on the gate, you have a charming incident here. When she heard Peter's voice, Peter said, it is me, open the door. Rhoda was so full of joy, she went back without opening the door and said, Peter is here. Now, that is, happens very often. 
when you're full of joy, you forget the most <laughs> essential role to play. And Peter wanted simply open the door and not to express the joy and to leave him outside. So, that we have here the setting of the Christian meeting is provided by the private, the, the private, private house. The primary setting for the Christian preaching is twofold, public and private. We know only two places in the book of Acts where St. Paul used public marketplace for the preaching of Christianity, marketplace. And that it is during the first missionary journey when he found himself in Lystra. In Lystra, he healed a man. And many people in the Lystra believed that gods came down upon the earth to visit them. He was with Barnabas. And they offered the gifts to Paul and Barnabas as offering gifts to Zeus and Hermes. And Paul was horrified, absolutely horrified. Man, we are not gods. We have the same nature as you are. But it's very interesting that they thought that Barnabas is Zeus. Barnabas is Zeus. And Paul is Hermes. And Hermes is the God, messenger of God. So Barbara, Barnabas must be a very enormous man, very tall man. Therefore, Zeus must be very tall. And Hermes is much smaller. He's the messenger of God. And then Paul delivered his first public uh, speech. And he spoke about one true God. One true God. So he's speaking to the pagans. He does not speak to them what God promised in Old Testament and how God promises in Old Testament were fulfilled. Because these people would not be able to understand it. They were not exposed to Old Testament. They were not exposed to the synagogue. They are not exposed to synagogal teaching. Therefore, Paul simply speaks to them about the living God. And the second example of the public uh, meeting for Paul is in Athens. In Athens, in the chapter 17 of the book of Acts, we had that Paul met some Greek philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics, and they looked at him and said, what this bubbler has to say to us? And because they were for the first time serious about meeting Paul, and very serious to hear what he has to say, they didn't keep him in the marketplace, but they took him out of the marketplace to the Areopagus, the Mars, Hill of God of Mars. And there Paul spoke, how you are all very religious. You are enormously religious. You built so many monuments to many gods. In order to be sure, you even built the monuments to unknown God. Now, and uh, interestingly enough, archaeologists discovered some inscriptions, not to unknown God, but to unknown gods. So that would be the only difference. And then Paul said, I will now speak to you about this unknown God whom you didn't name. And he spoke about Christ and his resurrection. And then they concluded that he speaks about two new deities. Now, and said, Paul, goodbye. We'll see you again. 
but people who heard the message of Paul, some of them were converted. It is a fallacy to say that Paul didn't have any success in Athens. Even the names are mentioned. One woman was mentioned, and one man, Dionysius Aeropagus, was mentioned, who is definitely not the one who lived in the 5th, 6th century, and that was extraordinary success. Under those conditions, Paul was able to convert the people. Now, but usual primary setting, primary setting for conversion, men and women in the Pauline ministry and in the ministry of other apostolic fathers is simply this, is household, household. And I have to say a few words to understand the very nature of the Christian movement at that particular time. In the time of Roman Hellenism, you have a two types of dwelling. You have a domus, that is the house in our ordinary sense of the word, and only people of certain means can provide domus, can have the house for themselves, for their family. It is very expensive because all the, that is for the big cities. We don't speak now about villages. Christianity did not yet penetrate the villages. Christianity is only concerned with the big cities, with the population in the big cities. And also Judaism as a missionary religion is really propagating Judaism in the big cities. And that is also important because the Gentile world is getting to be acquainted with the Old Testament, with the Septuagint. And when Christianity comes, then they can use their knowledge of the Old Testament and interpret it for them. So domus is the house in our ordinary sense of the word. And for the ordinary people, it was impossible to provide the means for the house. Majority of the people in the Greco-Roman world in the first century and in the second century lived in apartment houses. And what do you have? You have apartment house. On the bottom, you have a row of shops where you work where you produce tent making, for instance. One shop is for tent making, and Paul was a tent maker. In the rear, you have an accommodation for the family, not only for the family in narrow sense of the word, for nuclear family, but you have it for servants, for slaves, for business associate, and even for visitors. And now what would happen? So that is a one household composed of various elements, men and women and children. Now, in other places of the same city, you have the other household. Now, if men who comes, for instance, to Thessaloniki from outside and joins one household as a slave or business associate, he will have friends in other household. And this household, they are linked. They have their own connection. They come in contact, kinsmen, Friends, they come in contact with one another, and they belong to different households. Method of St. Paul was extraordinarily effective. He was the man who did not belong to the working class, but he wanted to work with his own hands, and he's very proud of it. He did not like to be burdened to his small and young congregation. And he would work very hard during the day. Door of the shop was open. He would follow people where they are going and coming. And at the evening, 
tired and exhausted, he will proclaim Christ to the household. And then people from other households would come to see their friends. And Paul also will take care of them and preach to them. That is the way how he built his churches. That is the way how he converted people to the Christianity. Now, now we also understand that under this condition, Paul has his own connection with the other churches. If he worked in Ephesus, he had a connection with the church in Corinth because people are traveling, traveling more, much more. Than, like in modern time, they are traveling from one place to another place. There was a Phrygian merchant from Phrygia in Asia Minor who was very proud that they put on his tomb that he visited Rome 23 times in his life. And that's extraordinary. That, and it, there was an Alaska airline. There was nothing of that nature, right? It is mostly, mostly on foot, right? For instance, Paul was moving in Asia Minor on foot. They said, and I tried to follow it with the modern uh, transportation. And I didn't cover all the roads that he did. But I discovered one thing. Wherever he moved, he moved where there is olive trees. Olive trees. So in other words, when you're tired, you can eat something. And the food is already provided by the nature. Now, in this household, what would happen? Paul received bad news, for instance, from Corinth. He has to write a letter to them. He has to answer. We know that he received more than one letter from the church in Corinth. We know from his own correspondence. Because concerning the things that you wrote to me, now I like to answer to you. Now, as a, his scribe, his scribe would write down his words. And probably Paul, if he was a real Hebrew, he could not stand still. He must be walking around for better concentration. He was, because only Socrates was able to stand before in one place without movement, but not Paul, right? And not our Lord also. When the, in Gethsemane, he was full on anxiety, not my will, but your will be done. So you have a, so you imagine Paul is absolutely movement and dictating, but he can dictate as slowly as possible, because scribe cannot write so quickly, because pa pa uh, paper is not so lovely paper that we have, that everything can go so easily, and the pen and so on and so forth, and mostly he can work for two hours. Now, one Italian scholar tried to figure out how many hours St. Paul spent on the first Corinthians. And he came to the conclusion, one month work. Now, I think, the, and for the, the shortest letter to Philemon, Paul spent about five to six hours. That's only 25 verses. The short, on, there is only one chapter. This particular knowledge of writing letters is extraordinarily significant for us when we are dealing with the unity of St. Paul correspondence. Because modern scholar will come to the letter of Paul and find in them, in one part, one mood, in another part, different mood. And jumping from one subject to another subject, and uh, 
for instance, for letter to Philippians, some of them discovered four different letters. <laughs> so, four different letters. I think the difference of mood and jumping from one subject to another subject depends on the way and the conditions under which these letters were written. So nobody, nobody in the world can deny unity of the first Corinthians because there was an organizational structure, but also there is a different moods. In this, the same letter, he attacked the strong man who thinks that they are ruler of the earth, but at the same time he attacked the weak man, the strong man who try to accept everything from the environment, he attacked them because they want assimilation. The weak men he attacked because they want ghetto reality. They want to go to ghetto. Paul attacked those tendency towards the ghetto, to put the church in ghetto, not touch it, don't have connection with anybody else, said that that's a ghetto reality. And the other one, everything, everything is allowed for me. I can do whatever I like to do it. That is the way to assimilation without any responsibility to his brother. So conversion was being done in that manner. But now problem of converts was extremely difficult, extremely difficult. There was a, a, a Roman historian Tacitus, T-A-C-I-T-U-S, Tacitus, at the very beginning of the second century. Tacitus, who complained that people who are converted to Judaism, particularly Judaism at that time, and to Christianity are the ones who despise the gods. Converts gives up his gods, and now he despises them. And then he said they despise their country. They disregard their parents. They become so negative elements. They are miserable. That is way how Tacitus presented situation of the converts. Now, at that particular time, in Alexandria lived an extraordinarily important and very well-known Jew, Jewish philosopher Philo, P-H-I-L-O. Philo, his work, by the, as a footnotes, is preserved in Christian monasteries. He is more important in a certain sense for development of the Christian theology than for the Jewish theology. The Jews somehow neglected him. Philo is the one who tried to apply allegorical method, a method that scripture says something more than it is in the text itself. And that allegorical method Allegory is simply means to say something else, to say something more than is in the text. And that allegorical method is very much practiced by Christian fathers in the second and the third century of the Christian era, and also in the West. Now, Philo realized difficult situation of converts from paganism to Judaism. That can be applied also to the Christianity. And he advised his people that we have to pay special attention to the converts because the social, religious, and intellectual 
dislocation. They are socially, religiously, and intellectually dislocated from previous environment. And also that these converts suffer external oppression by the people who remain loyal to paganism and also suffer from their inner distress that their families, their friends do not like to speak with them any longer. So that is a... Now, Christianity has to pay, has to pay attention to this problem. And it is reflected in Pauline letters. And it is known to us as Christian household code, moral code for the Christian household. And this household code is also very well known to us because we use it at every wedding ceremony. Ephesians chapter 5, the marriage epistle, belongs precisely to this household code, relationship, husband and wife. But uh, to, to, to see importance of this code, let us turn, if you have a Bible, let us go to our video. It is a Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and following. So, the outside world must be shown that Christians are very respectful, that Christian has a particular order in the family, like many others. And they using Hellenistic code that has a deep roots even in Plato's philosophy, in Aristotelian philosophy, in Hellenistic Judaism, and trying to use it and to apply it to the Christian household, but with the element of Christianization. Now let us see what, they, what is being done. Wives, be subject to your husband as fitting in the Lord. There are two things that here should be mentioned. First of all, it is quite obvious, it is fitting in the Lord. Now, how Lord would accept it and how it would fit you who are in Christ, how you should behave with one another. But there is another, a, a very subtle, profound difference. Wife, be subject to your husband. The term, Greek term, that is used for the subject to your husband simply means voluntary yielding in love. Vol mutual voluntary yielding in love. That's, that submission is reduced to this voluntary yielding in love. Now, and uh, what husband, and what is mutuality of this? It is not, it's not a traffic, one-way traffic. It is a two-way traffic. Husband, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. And then children, obey your parents. Term for children to obey parents is really obey. There is no voluntary here at all. It's completely, it's completely different term. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And then what fathers has to be, behave towards children? Children do not provoke. Fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
No. So you have an absolutely balance. You have a parallelism. You have a wife and husband. You have a children and fathers. Then you have a slaves. Then slaves obey everything. Now, to say something about slaves, Roman system, Roman Empire at the time of Paul and of the second century and during all this period was based on slavery. One third of Roman population were slaves. One third were freedmen, people who were slaves and they somehow purchased their freedom and became free. And one third were citizens. So Roman Empire in the first century had about 54 million people. So out of these 54 million people, one third were slaves. Slaves were unusual group of the people. Among the slaves, you will find the most educated people in the Roman world. Because slaves, those who are captured in the war, prisoner of war, they became slaves. And the slaves were pedagogos, teachers to young children in the very outstanding family. So that, and many slaves lived so well that they didn't care very much to purchase their freedom. And many freedmen who purchased their freedom lived rather miserably, and they wanted back. You know, that is, that is, now, Saint Paul deals with the problem of slavery. Some people innocently always ask the question, why didn't Christianity arise against slavery? That is very nicely to be put, very easily to be put, but the reality is completely different. What a small group of Christians can do against the whole system. But St. Paul really undermines sla slavery system. The letter to Philemon is one of an extraordinary piece of literature that is the best social document of Christianity from the first century. Because uh, you come to the household, you con try to convert them, but all people in the household are not converted. And it's happened in one household that one slave, Onesimus, did not like to join Christian women. He left his master Philemon, he went somewhere else, and probably somewhere he met St. Paul, and St. Paul converted him to the Christianity. According to the law, according to the Roman law, slave must be reported to police, and police shipped him to his master. And Paul has to follow this procedure, but Paul sent a letter to his former master and asked him, he was your slave, but now it is your brother. And in the Lord, your brother in the Lord. This small letter repeats five times in the Lord. And Paul also says in this letter, listen, I am planning to come very soon <laughs> to visit you. Prepare, prepare the room for my coming. <laughs> and that is, a, that is one of charming letter. That is a social dynamite. That is a social document. That is how Christianity could deal with the slavery to change the system in relationship. And then slaves and masters are singing together in the Eucharistic gathering. They are mixing together. They are eating from the, drinking from the same cup and eating from the same bread.
Now, uh, so these are how, and then masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, when you turn to the Ephesians, I will take only one verse from the letter of Ephesians, uh, where, which is a starting point of the wedding epistle. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is absolutely the same term as it used in Colossians. Submit yourself, each other, in love to each other. And then he speaks, he starts to speak about the Christ and church relationship, and then come to the husband-wife relationship. And as Christ died for the church, so husband has to love and sacrifice his life for it. That is the ultimate point of this particular epistle. Now, uh, now we are coming more directly to St. Paul and women. I mentioned before, I never spoke about this subject before, that some voices, negative voices were being raised, that Paul was anti-feminist, that Paul was anti-women, and my thesis today to prove to you that Paul was a great friend of women. Paul was not anti-feminist, Paul was liberator of women. And the greatest liberator of women after Christ. Because we don't have a time, Christ's attitude about women is very probably better known. Christ allowed women to follow him during his ministry, which is unheard of any teacher on Israel to allow women to follow him and to minister to his needs, Christ is entering the house of Mary and Martha, and Mary sits at his feet. It means Mary is disciples of Jesus and listening to his words. That is precisely image what disciples has to do when he means the teacher. That is a technical expression. I am his disciple. So all this things, uh, I think, uh, should be brought together. But now we are coming to Paul, who is accused of great hatred towards the woman, and that he's responsible for many things about which he doesn't know anything. Now, uh, my first text uh, is Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 of the Epistle to Romans. And uh, this text, very beginning, uh, is interesting for several reasons. The first reason, the letter to Romans is written by St. Paul uh, before he was making plans to visit Rome. He never visited Rome before until he was taken to Rome as a prisoner as a prisoner, around 60 A.D. So the letter to Romans was written about 58. And then uh, there are interesting things in this letter, that in the last chapter, he is mentioning more than 25 names. How it could be understood, men who never visited Rome, now he writes letter to Romans and mentioning so many people that he knows greetings and so on and so forth. 
And it led many scholars for many, many years to ascribe this chapter 16 as a something, this appendix that was supposed to be attached to letter to Ephesians because it is written to Ephesus. Paul knows these people in Ephesus and therefore he writes to them and some scribe mistakenly put it at the end of the letter to Romans. Now these ideas cannot be accepted any longer for various reasons. First of all, Christians in the first century were traveling much faster than we can ever imagine. Particularly one couple, Priscilla and Aquila, Prisca and Aquila, they are very well known in the several places. They came from Pontus in Asia Minor. They went to Rome. In the Rome, Claudius, the emperor Roman, expelled the Jews, probably Christian Jews, because they started to make trouble with other Jews in Rome. They came to Corinth. They met Paul in Corinth. They moved with the Paul to the Ephesus. They were with Paul in Ephesus. And when Claudius emperor died, and Nero emperor came to the power, then they returned back to the Rome. So the movement of these people and the hospitality of the Christians in various areas is remarkable. Because when a Christian traveling in the first century from one place to another place, from one region to another region, he is to be sure where to spend the nights and where to find hospitality. On the roads, there was some Howard Johnson, Howard Johnson, but you should, but you should avoid them because they are full of magic and prostitution. And so Christians always had a direction to find a Christian home and to bring and to come and to spend the nights over there and to bring the messages there. I never in my life experienced spirit of primitive Christianity than 10 years ago when I was in Istanbul, Constantinople. A friend of mine who was in diplomatic service of US government and who became later on Melkite priest took me and my wife and his wife to visit Little Sister of Jesus, Little Sisters of Jesus. That is one particular Roman Catholic order. And it was in a very dilapidated area of Istanbul. You have four, two, two doors you have to open to enter into their hallway and then the doors to enter to the apartment because it's such a bad area. When he came over there, we had a wonderful time. And then people from Ankara came, two Christians, who visited certain places that St. Paul visited during the first missionary journey, Iconium, Lystra. And they told them, we found Christians there. There is still one Christian group over there. I felt it. That is precisely what is happening in the early period when one messenger comes from a very far away and tells you that there are Christian groups. And when we left them, they didn't allow us to leave because they are afraid for our safety. But they called for a taxi. And when taxi came just in the front of their house, then we were allowed to go. And next, next morning, I went to, 
to, to, to, to patriarchate in, in Constantinople, and they were there in the, in the service. And during the day, they're cleaning the houses, working for certain people and praying. That is their duty. But the spirit of hospitality uh, is very much outstanding. Now, in this letter, Paul is mentioning at the very beginning one woman. The, her name is Phoebe. Let me read this text because this text is a stumbling block in many, in many quarters today. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess of the church St. Crea, that you may receive her in the Lord as befits the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you. For she has been helper of many and of myself as well. This Phoebe is a really Greek text that there is no technical term deaconesses in the first century. That is only in second century. In the first century you have only muscular deacon. She is deacon. She is servant. Deacon in the New Testament has two basic meanings. One meaning is to be servant, minister, working for the church affairs, missionary, missionary, and involved in every aspect of the church life. Is a teacher, she is a teacher, and, but deacon as a local leader, local leader, a stable, he has a pla place of stability, is not moving, but really concerned with the local congregation, appears for the first time in the letters of Paul to Philippians, and that is about 60 AD, where deacons are mentioned as the local leaders. So this woman is definitely teacher. This woman is definitely church workers. And what is a very significant for me, at least, and I hope is for you, she probably carries the letter of Romans to Rome. And she is probably the person who will be reading this letter to the church in Rome. And he is the first interpreter of the Romans. We wish that we have a commentary, but unfortunately we don't have. But this Phoebe is so important that Paul entrusted her with such important duties. So, this, so in other words, you can't speak here about deacon in the, in the, in the uh, 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 technical sense. But you have a deacon in a larger sense. Paul called himself servant of the Christ. Diaconos to Christu, diacon of Christ. Uh, our Lord is uh, in New Testament deacon. Our Lord in the New Testament is priest, high priest. And our Lord in the New Testament uh, is episcopos. He is the deacon, servant. He served. He is a high priest of our religion. And he is episcopos of our souls. It means guardians of our souls. So all three technical terms for the future ministry, internal ministry in the church, are already consecrated and sanctified by being used by Christ himself. He is the deacon, he is the priest, and he is the bishop. 
his episcopus. Episcopus, the very term episcopus, simply one who looks over, who supervises. He is a supervisor or guardian. He is the guardian of the faith, guardian of a liturgical order, and therefore also guardian of our souls. So this Phoebe plays the undoubtedly important role in the church near Corinth. Paul has great confidence in her. Paul chose her to take the letter, to bring the letter to Rome, to read this letter, and to interpret this letter. The second term is the helper. The term helper, uh, prostasis, let us not be involved too much in the Greek, but means many things. It may mean the leader. It may mean the, the interpreter. And it may mean the patron, patron, patron. It means she was the woman of certain means, definitely, because she was able to help other missionaries. And the context for this word is precisely stated here in this translation. He is a helper of many, and myself as well. It means she supported them. So this Phoebe is a teacher, uh, he is a church worker, is probably definitely involved in apostolic work, apostolic missionary work, and is a great helper. He's patrona to patron. He's a patron to many Christians. Now, then Paul goes on, and we find he greets Prisca and Aquila. Prisca and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. Could you imagine any higher recommendation and any higher praises than this one? They saved his life. We unfortunately know it. We don't know under which conditions she had. But Prisca and Aquila, they have an interesting history. There are people who came from the Asia Minor. There are people, as a Jew, they came to Rome. And as Jews, they became Christians in Rome. They are expelled as a Jewish Christians. They met Paul in Corinth. And Paul is in their household, kept in Ephesus. And probably all of them are involved in tent making. All of them. And what is even utter impossibility for many people to understand that this Prisca is more important than Aquila. Six times their names are mentioned in the New Testament. Six times. Four times Prisca comes on the first place and Aquila on the second. I think it means something. It definitely means something. That Prisca as a missionary was definitely more forceful, more energetic, and the book of Acts tell us then Apollos, a learned man from Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was so eloquent that even he was able to organize his own party in the Corinth. Party, we are for Apollos, because Apollos is much better speaker than Paul, probably. We are Apollos. So this Apollos, who was very well versed in scriptures, who knew scripture from beginning to the end, when he came into touch with Prisca, 
Prisca taught him some other things that Apollos didn't understand and led them to the right understanding of the scripture. So uh, this Apollos is such a mysterious figure that many people ascribe to him the epistle to, of he, to Hebrews, to Apollos, right? So, but uh, definitely. There were, Epistle of Hebrews has so many candidates that it's impossible to enumerate them. It, some people figure out about 25. But one of them is Apollos. Now, this, why these names are important, which come first. I know a person that is very close to me, who during uh, the, Stalin's, uh, the period of Stalin's death worked in the State Department. Her task was to read Soviet papers because in Washington, absolutely complete confusion. Who is going to succeed Stalin? Who is going to succeed Stalin? And uh, uh, that person was reading Soviet papers and underlining who is the first, who is second, who is the third, right? And looks, Malenkov was the first. And then, who comes to Bolshoi Theater? Who is absent from the Bolshoi Theater? When Politburo comes to the theater, if somebody is absent, that's a very bad sign. So skip him, cross him, it's not important. And so on that basis, Washington intelligence reading Soviet press, who is first, who is second, had some inkling who is going to seize the power. So uh, we have uh, the same method here, looking for the, but completely with opposite results, different intentions, we like, to stress attention upon the role of women. And definitely, no doubt in my mind, that Prisca was more important than Aquila in, in the missionary work, in the missionary work. And uh, uh, the, uh, the text shows it. Now, what is also important, that in their home was the church. Their home. It was house church, was his home of Prisca and Aquila. So now when we, when I take these two observations, that Prisca is more important than Aquila, and their home is the house church, it doesn't mean at all that Prisca is now presiding over Eucharistic gathering. Absolutely not. It only shows that they are hostess, and who is presiding? We do not know. For instance, when Lydia of Theatira, Lydia of Theatira was converted uh, 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 by Saint Paul on the European European soil, that is the first convert on European soil. She comes from Asia Minor, and in Philippi she was converted. She was so excited about her conversion. She invited Paul and his entourage to be in their house, and the church was in their house. Now, would be foolish to say that Lydia was now presiding about liturgical gatherings. No, but she was patron, really. She was helper. He supported the church. He helped his church to organize, and he, th that was her particular ministry. This message is continued on side two.